we live in a world that is so easily divided. Even within the church, we find so many ways to divide over theology, over politics, over any little thing that you can imagine. Was The Internals a good movie or not? We can divide over that issue as well, because it wasn't. Welcome to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight, and this is a bonus episode, number one of several for this month of October, Giving Back October, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Ooh, that's what we're going to call this. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about not just how we as a church can find unity, but also how to maintain unity between brothers and sisters in Christ who are divided on so many different topics. And to do that, I'm going to share with you all a sermon that I preached recently out of 2nd Corinthians chapter 13, the doxology of 2nd Corinthians, where Paul talks a lot about, very briefly, these brief statements on unity and how to maintain unity among brothers and sisters in Christ, which is such an important message for us today. And I will take this moment, I will take this moment, and I will raise you on this, that if unity among brothers and sisters in Christ who come from such different backgrounds is something that is important to you, or you think is something that in your own spiritual life is something that you can you need to grow in, I encourage you to not only listen to this episode, but afterwards, you should head down into the description where you can see a whole bunch of things, including a link to the MSL website. And you will also find, just for you, Josh, a link to the Whole Church Podcast, where my friends Josh and TJ run a whole show about hearing different voices in the church from all different types of walks and denominations and showing how we can have unity among differing opinions, differing views. Josh has had so many different types of people on there from Lutheran parish pastors to Orthodox priests to me, whatever I am. I think he calls me your favorite traveling preacher. I think that's what I'm billed as over there. So if church unity is something that matters to you, or you want to grow in, I encourage you to go check out the Whole Church Podcast. We'll provide a link in the description for their show, or you can go to the MSL website, because I think I might actually have a link up there. I think so, because I've been on there a handful of times, and I was like, yeah, why not? Anyway, so here you are. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my sermon on church unity. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to go ahead and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll actually be looking at the final four verses of this letter. And as you turn over there, I want to talk a little bit today about division and community. These are the two things that I want for us to look at today. Division and unity. We live in a world today where there are constantly ways that we can be divided. There are so many different issues and so many different opinions that we are constantly being divided this way and that way. You just look at the news of things that have been going on lately, 
whether it's the student loan debt forgiveness, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the uh, raid of former President Trump's house. There's people divided on all these different issues. Division is everywhere. And it doesn't even have to be big government-related issues, political issues. There was a slight division going on just last night as people were trying to decide if my son Cooper was going to be a fan of The Ohio State or Notre Dame. Daddy lost that fight. All the brothers-in-law are very much fans of The Ohio State. But whether it's something important like what's going on in our country or whether or not The Eternals was a good movie or not. People are divided. People have opinions. And some people hold those opinions very tightly and will fight hard for those opinions. And for us as Christians, we add on additional things. We have doctrines. We have faith. We have theologies. And we get divided over those issues as well. How often should a church take communion? What type of government should a church have? Is God a trinity? Is it modalism? Is it Unitarianism? Speaking in tongues. There are so many ways for us to be divided that it almost seems impossible for us to be united at all. But unity is a beautifully powerful force. If you take notes, I would encourage you to write that down. Unity is a beautifully powerful force. When people come together, unite together for a common bond, for a common purpose, it's amazing what can get done. Just for a simple example, turn to the world of sports. How often do we see the power of a team coming together for one purpose? to achieve a victory, to win the big game. Two of my favorite examples of that would be the 2016 Chicago Cubs and the 1980 U.S. men's Olympic hockey team. Two examples of a team unifying together for the greater purpose of winning the World Series, breaking decades-old curses about how the Cubs can never win, or the 80s hockey team doing the one thing that no one ever thought could happen, beating the Russians at hockey, because that matters a lot. Just look at this world of sports as an example of what can be accomplished when people with differing views and different skills come together, unite together to accomplish something. But unity isn't just powerful. It's also beautiful. Unity can be very beautiful. An example of that is marriage, is a wedding ceremony. I know not everybody gets the opportunity to have the perfect wedding day. Some people do have disastrous wedding days. But for many people, a wedding is an example of the beauty of unity. Because you have in this moment two people who through love are going to unite together to become one family. And not only do you have the two people, the husband and the wife coming together, you have friends and families and even for some people pets coming together on both sides to unify together to see this moment of beauty, of celebrating love and celebrating this couple. Unity is a beautifully 
powerful force. Not only when people come together, are things done, are goals accomplished, but there's beauty in that unity as well. And for us as Christians, when we unite together as a church and unite with other brothers and sisters in the faith, what happens is that we get to see the beauty of God's kingdom change the world around us. We see the kingdom of God through the power of the gospel change lives, change lives, change institutions. But again, when we live in a world that is so divided and we are constantly finding new ways for us to have division in our lives, how do we find unity? How do we find unity in a world of division? Well, this takes us now to our passage of Scripture this morning, 2 Corinthians 13. We're going to be looking at the last four verses, starting in verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Paul here in his doxology, in his conclusion to his second letter to the church of Corinth, is focusing on a call for unity. And in the remainder of our time this morning, I simply just want to walk through each one of these steps. There are seven things that Paul lays out here that when we as a church, when we as followers of Jesus take these to heart and apply it to our lives, we will see more unity among ourselves. So let's turn back now to the word of God. The first thing we see here is the word rejoice. Rejoicing is the first way that we can find unity among ourselves. Well, how can that be? Rejoicing doesn't really sound like a unifying work. I can rejoice on my own if I really want to. The thing about rejoicing is that it takes us off of the issues and onto God. When we are focusing our attention on worshiping and praising and bringing glory to God above and not focusing on all of the things that can bring division, all of the things that we can argue and fight over, when we put those aside and focus our attention on rejoicing in the work of God, then there can be unity. When we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we come together as a church to put the issues aside, to rejoice and bring glory to God, there is unity in the midst of us. So that's the first thing. Rejoice. Second, aim for restoration. So we're going to rejoice. We're going to put aside our differences and we're going to turn to the one who is above and beyond greater than our divisions and we're going to rejoice and we're going to seek him and we're going to glorify him and second we're going to aim for restoration christians are in the business of restoring broken lives and broken institutions earlier in this same letter paul writes in chapter 5 
that God has reconciled us back to himself through Jesus Christ, and that in turn now, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors, that is the word Paul uses, to take the message that God is bringing the world back to himself, bringing people back to himself, restoring the broken relationship. That is our message. That is our drive. We are going out into the world to reconcile it back to God by sharing the gospel, by demonstrating the love of Jesus to others. We are aiming to restore broken relationships and institutions by taking the gospel with us wherever we go. But I love this word that Paul uses here first. He uses the word aim. Aim for restoration. We are in the business of restoring things, but we are aiming to restore broken lives and broken institutions. We are aiming. And that word aim is important because it gives us a measure of grace. Though we are to take restoration seriously, the word aim tells us that we're not going to always accomplish that goal. I'll give you an example. I do enjoy the game billiards. I do like to shoot pool. I'm no pool shark. I'm not Paul Newman in The Hustler, but I do enjoy playing pool, and I'm decent at it. And when I first started playing pool, obviously... I was a child and would just hit the balls as hard as I could and hope for the best. And yeah, some of them went in, or I would hit the eight ball in, or I would scratch, or nothing would happen. But what I have learned over time of playing in my grandparents' basement way too much is that when I actually make the effort to aim, to slow down and to aim and to take my shot carefully, I have better results. The thing is, though, that if you have played pool, you know that there are things to take into account, like angles and how much force you are going to put into your shot and whether or not the floor is warped and so the table is actually at a slight angle and that changes things as well. So although aiming does increase your chances of success, it does not guarantee success. And it's the same thing here with aiming for restoration. We are to attempt, we are to try to restore broken relationships, broken institutions. But we are to realize, we are to realize that there may be times when that is not achievable. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world of division. There will be times where the relationship will not be fixed this side of heaven. But that does not give us the permission to say, oh, well, guess that one's never going to be fixed. No, we are to aim. We are to try. We are to attempt for restoration. So that's our second one. To maintain unity among brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to rejoice together. We're to aim for restoration. Third, comfort one another. Now, I don't want to spend too much time here on comforting one another because I think most people understand that to sit and to comfort and to grieve with someone is a good thing. 
even people who are not Christians, who are just good moral people, will tell you, yeah, when someone is hurt, when someone is sick, you should comfort them. I think the thing I would like to say here is that I will point back to the last time I preached here, and we talked about speaking truth to one another. I preached on speaking truth and how, yes, we are to speak truth with one another. We are to give the word of God to one another. But that doesn't mean that when someone comes up to you and tells you that there is, they are grieving, that they are hurting, that you just slap a Bible verse on it and walk away. No, to truly comfort one another, yes, you are to take them to God's word. Yes, you should be praying with them. But it takes more than just, here's a Bible verse, see you later. To comfort one another takes spending time with that person, seeing what their needs are, putting them first. Do they need to be heard? Do they need food? Do they need to take a nap like my son does right now? That's why he's so cranky. Comfort one another. Value, value that other person's needs. Don't just put a Bible verse on it. Take them to the word of God. Encourage them by it. But understand that there's more to it than just giving them a Bible verse. So to maintain unity, to find unity in a divided world, we're going to rejoice together. We're going to aim to restore broken relationships and institutions. We're going to comfort one another more than just giving each other a Bible verse and calling it a day. Next, agree with one another. Now this is arguably the biggest sticking point in this whole conversation. There's one coming up that sounds a little awkward, but this is the one that is the biggest sticking point, agreeing with one another. How are we supposed to agree with one another when there's so many different opinions, so many different approaches to life, to political views, to theology? How are we supposed to agree with one another? Do we have to agree with one another? We live in a world of individualism. I am my own person. Do I have to agree with everybody? That doesn't sound like individualism at all. I have the freedom and the right to be an individual and to believe what I want. Well, for us as Christians, all of these statements that Paul is making are commands. So yes, I know, you want to be your own person. That's part of the Americanized Christianity is that we are, to, we are our own people. But Paul is telling you that despite the fact that you want to be your own person, you are to agree with other people. So how do we agree with each other when there's so much division and where I want to be my own person? How do we, how do we even find ways to agree with each other? We need to go to the very basics. A lot of times, even these things that, these things that we want to be divided over in the grand scheme of things, are not that important. There are some things that are important. There are some things that are worth fighting over. But a lot of these things that we are dividing over, over and over and over again, truly aren't that significant in the light of eternity. We need to agree on the most significant, basic part of our faith. Do we agree that Jesus is Savior? 
Do we agree that he has overcome sin and death? Do we agree that there is no other name under heaven that we can be saved? Can we agree on that? If we can agree on that, we can work through everything else. We don't have to agree on everything, but we need to at least agree on that. Methods and modes and opinions and everything else we might disagree on, but we need to at least agree. We absolutely have to agree that Jesus is Savior. I think a lot of times when we think about the church in the New Testament, the first church, the the early days of the church, we have this romanticized view that everything was okay and they always got along. They didn't. There was division in the early church. In Acts chapter 11, after the gospel is preached to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles, there's a big church meeting, much like you're going to have next week. There was a big meeting among the leaders to decide, okay, what do we do now? Because so far, we've just been taking the gospel primarily to Jewish people. And now the Gentiles are receiving the gospel and receiving the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? Do we allow this? And the text says in Acts chapter 11 that arose from this group, from this discussion of people on this topic, there came a group called the circumcision party. Air quoting it, that's what the text says. Circumcision party. They are the group of believers in Jesus that say, now if you're going to be a Christian, you have to also follow the Old Testament law, and you definitely have to get circumcised, especially you Gentiles. There was division among the believers. In the first letter to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is dealing with an issue of division in their church. Because there is a division among them, they Some people are saying, well, my favorite leader is Paul. Well, my favorite preacher is Apollos. Mine is Peter. Oh, well, I'm of Jesus Christ. They're divided over their favorite theologians, which has not gone away 2,000 years later. And Paul very wittingly says, church in Corinth, did I die for you? Were you baptized into my death? No, this is not something worth dividing over. And in both cases, both in the book of Acts and in 1 Corinthians, what ends up happening is they get back to what matters most, the gospel. That the gospel frees us from the law, and yes, you can have your favorite theologians, but those theologians did not die for you. Those pastors, those writers, they did not die for you. They are just one of many voices that you can maybe like and agree with. We need to agree with one another, and the best way to agree with one another is to get back to the most central cornerstone of our faith, Jesus Christ. To find unity in a divided world, we're going to rejoice, we're going to aim for restoration, we're going to comfort one another, we're going to agree with one another, And we're going to live in peace. We're going to pursue peace among each other. And what's interesting about this statement, live in peace, Paul has an additional statement here, that if we live in peace, that is 
the fruit that is an indicator that the God of love and peace is working in you. So when you have peace in your relationships, when you have peace among the brothers and sisters in the church or among other churches, when you are finding peace in your relationships, that means God is working in you. Because God is the God of love and peace among many other attributes. That also means, though, that also means that if there is a lack of peace in your relationships, if you are seeing a lack of peace in the church with other Christian family members, with Christian friends, if there is a lack of peace and stability in those relationships, then... That is like a check engine light coming on your dashboard. That is an indicator that you need to get back to God. Because if the God of all love and peace is working in your life, you will see love and peace in your relationships. But if you're not seeing love and peace in your relationships, then that means you need to get back to God. You need to see, is there sin that needs to be confessed? Do I have I wavered away from time and prayer, time in God's word? Do I need to reconnect with God? Live in peace. And if you don't see peace, seek peace in Jesus. We're going to find unity by rejoicing, by aiming for restoration by comforting one another, by agreeing with one another, by living in peace with one another, and by greeting one another with a holy kiss. Which is always very awkward to have to talk about. Because that just isn't something we do anymore. We don't just go around kissing everybody. The best way to look at this in a modern day sense is that we are to be culturally, appropriately affectionate with one another. Just because we don't go around kissing one another doesn't mean that we can't be affectionate towards one another in a modern, relevant way. We need to get back to showing one another that we truly love one another. That may look like the hearty handshake. That may look like a hug. That may look like writing letters or taking a meal over to someone or inviting someone over for a meal with no expectation that they're going to bring anything as a side dish. We are to demonstrate a reverent, holy love towards one another. We need to find ways to do that in the church together and with people outside of these buildings. How do we communicate to one another, I love you? As brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a part of our life, to be affectionate towards one another. And as a small rabbit trail, this is yet another time, as I spend more time in God's word and studying in school and blah, 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 this is yet another time where I truly believe that culture and a lot of times church culture have really dropped the ball on training and teaching men. Because so often, being affectionate, even in the church, is for the women and us as men were to be 
solid, upright, stern, individuals, level-headed, blah, blah, blah. There is a form of masculinity that the, ch that the culture and also the church likes for men to act and be like. But when you get into God's word, more often than not, what you're going to see is a definite lack of teaching on certain gender qualifications, much like this. It does not say, women, greet one another with a holy kiss. It says, to you, the church, greet one another with a holy kiss. So that means for us as men, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on us men for one moment and say, we need to take stock of our personal relationships. How do we show affection to one another as men? How do we communicate to one another in a reverent, holy way, I care about you, I love you? This is part of following Jesus. This is part of what makes us truly different from the rest of the world, from the rest of the culture, is that we are men who love and take care of each other, who care about one another. We are going to seek unity in a divided world by rejoicing, aiming for restoration, comforting one another, agreeing with one another, living in peace, greeting one another with a holy kiss. And finally here, Paul says, all the saints greet you. And we can take that for us today and say, we seek unity by keeping up with each other, by staying connected, by more than just adding somebody on social media or just saying hello to them on Sunday morning and never talking to them throughout the week. This was a common element in Paul's letters. That by the end, near the end, Paul says, By the way, everybody here with me says hello. We keep unity, we maintain unity when we make the effort to stay connected. When we call, when we text, when we write letters, when we email one another, when we go over to one another's house, we keep unity alive by staying connected. When I was in college eight years ago, eight years ago, man, it's been a long time. When I was in college, I had so many friends. Life was just friends going to do things all the time. Now, from college, I only have two, three friends that I talk to still. Out of 20, 30 friends that I had in college, I've, I'm down to two, maybe three. And it's only because we have made the effort to stay connected. My best friend and I, he lives in Tennessee. I'm up here in Crown Point. We text each other, we call each other once a week on Wednesday. That is what we do. We've been doing that since we graduated from college. And we have maintained our relationship the whole time. Since college, we have only actually seen each other one time, and that was for my wedding. But we have made the intentional effort to stay connected, to keep unity alive. We live in a divided world. But for us as believers, we are to maintain unity, to seek unity. At the beginning, I talked about how unity is a 
beautifully powerful force. That for us as believers, when we come together, when we unify as a church, when we unify with other brothers and sisters outside of this church, the kingdom of God advances. The gospel is preached. Lives are changed. Institutions are redeemed. But there's an even greater reason to seek unity. There's still one bigger reason why. And it's found there in verse 14. More often than not, Paul ends his letters by saying something like, and may the God of all peace be with you. Or he says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's usually what he says. It's like a one-liner. But this one's different. Because Paul says, I'll read verse 14 for you again. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. As Paul is talking about unity and bringing the church together, what does he do to conclude? He points at the Trinity. He points at the reality of the fact that God is not just one deity. He is three persons in one. Yes, the Trinity is complicated, but the thing that we can take away from the Trinity is that there is unity in the Trinity. The Father is not greater than the Son. The Son's not greater than the Holy Spirit. They are all equal in one. All of that to say, we seek unity because it reflects God Himself. God is unified, God is not divided. God is united. And when we as a church unite together and unite with other brothers and sisters in Christ, we are reflecting God to the world, which is the highest thing we can be doing to reflect the image of God to our communities, to our contexts. We seek unity not just to accomplish goals, not just to Check the box on ministry-related things, not just because, you know, people coming together singing kumbaya. We, see, we seek unity because it reflects God. And so now as our time draws to a close, I invite you, if you would like, to come to the altar, to come forward, to pray for those broken relationships that you have in your life, to pray for those broken institutions that you are a part of, Pray for, the, pray for restoration. And then during the week, aim for restoration. If you're going to pray for these broken relationships, I encourage you to come forward to pray about it and then to go out and to seek restoration. Come and pray for unity for this church. Pray for the unity of the church outside of this world, outside of this building. Seek unity in a divided world and see what God does. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's episode. This is a guilt-free bonus episode. You don't have to feel obligated to rate and review the show or subscribe or follow the show on a social media platform or platform or anything. This is totally guilt-free. It's a thank you for being such a great audience. 
as always, you can go down to the description, find links to a whole bunch of stuff, including the whole church podcast. Again, if you're interested in continuing to learn and to grow on the subject of church unity. I don't think I have anything else really to say. This is just a quick little bye. See you later. There will be more bonus episodes to follow this month. If I remember the outline correctly, next week will be another sermon and we'll be dealing with the subject of is Christianity a religion? But until then, uh, uh, coming out this week will be the first, the next. Gotta look at my outline. Let's see here. It will be the first pastoral interview in a series of three interviews. This is going to be featuring Pastor Ben Hickson. It's a great conversation on leadership, stewardship as leadership. Maybe, maybe we've been thinking about this whole servant leadership thing all wrong the whole time. That'll be coming out this Saturday. And again, all throughout this month, you'll be getting bonus episodes every Tuesday. But that's all. I don't want to hold you up too much longer. Thanks for listening. And as always, keep on studying.